Purple, the color of royalty, wealth, fine linens. And the rich man, he feasts sumptuously. But all that's not quite the heart of the issue at the outset of our story. I mean, Father Abraham himself was quite wealthy. If you remember the story in Genesis. Or Job, you remember Job? A righteous man of God. He went through a lot. Quite wealthy. Luke, the author of this particular gospel, our reading today, was a physician and in that time probably had the highest income among the disciples depending on how Matthew the tax collector was doing that year. So what's the issue then at the outset of the story if it's not the wealth per se? Kenneth Bailey, he was a Presbyterian scholar who specialized in helping uh, Western Christians in particular uh, understand and hear Scripture in its original context. And he points out that to the ancient ears, especially Sabbath-oriented Jewish ears, as they were hearing this parable, they would have been most transfixed by one particular phrase in that first sentence. Every day. Every day he wears purple and fine linens. Every day he feasts sumptuously. Every day, meaning these things consume his, his, his time, his interest, his focus. The rich man has no Sabbath. This holy pause of 24 hours in the week wherein the heart is, is given space to detach from all the things that occupy us and focus afresh upon God. The gift of God's creation. Sabbath, this gift that, that permits us to say no to the things that we consume and consume us. The things that need us and, and that Surely we need. I love how Isaiah, the prophet, articulates the gift of Sabbath. He says, in returning in rest, we shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be our strength. The rich man has no Sabbath. No, no place to situate himself regularly with God and, and receive afresh the heart of God and the eyes of God and therefore see the neighbors who are on God's heart. Instead, it's, it's constant purple and linens and food accompanied by all, of course, the, the upkeep and, and the juggling of that. A few years ago, uh, my wife and I, when we were living in, in Virginia, we read The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. Read that one? Maybe you saw the Netflix series? Okay, I got a few. There you go. Well, basically, it's this book. It has you go through every single thing that you own. Clothing, books, paper, miscellaneous items, sentimental items, photos, everything. And you're invited to hold it in your hand, look at the item, and ask the question, does this spark joy within me? Which is a funny question to ask about a paperclip or any number of items you can imagine holding for a moment. It's a tough question. It's a strange question. But I can remember holding this blue and red swim bag 
from my days as an assistant swim coach at a high school I used to teach at out in Pasadena, California. And this bag went with me to every swim practice and every, every swim meet. And this bag uh, is full of a year's worth of, of, of wonderful memories. I said, I can't give it away. And Michelle, my wife, she responds, you never use it. She's right, like for years, I had not used it. I preferred other bags at that point. But it was my swim bag. So you want to keep it so you can look at it? She was making a, a good point. Uh, I was storing said bag in the basement. I never even saw the bag. Had no purpose. But what we were uncovering is by, by way of just this one simple item, is how an item can take a hold of a part of our heart. And that's fine. That's natural. I imagine we all have special items with memories. But then, of course, you multiply that by hundreds, even thousands of objects. It was incredibly humbling to see everything I owned not only required literal space for storage, but also calendar space for maintenance or upkeep or dusting off or whatever. Mental space, just my own vague general awareness about it. Kind of constant attentiveness. And then, of course, these things all took all this, this angst and energy just to decide which ones mark joy and what can go. In fact, the deeply humbling thing that I found in doing this exercise was, was, was I discovered it wasn't only that I was attached to so many of these items, but, but they were attached to me. What well, we did, we, we filled countless garbage bags uh, with clothes to give away and tools knickknacks, the free stuff we'd gotten at some special social event, uh, the stuff under the bed we never even saw, the stuff at the back of the closet we never used, recent purchases we realized were kind of dumb, old purchases we'd forgotten about. All of it. And it wasn't until untold loads of, 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 these, of these bags were moving out to be given away that my wife and I, we look at one another stunned at how light we felt. Not just how open and light the space of our house was, but our minds and our hearts. A totally different lightness and openness to God. Whatever God might want to show us. I honestly had no idea how the, the slow accumulation of stuff, stuff occupies more and more space and upkeep and attention and, 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 and sort of a constant attention. The rich man's money goes every day to purple and linens and food. And so his heart is filled with tending to those things, enjoying those things, keeping up with those things. And this is an ongoing, everyday reality. There is no room or energy to think about or notice or do anything else. And so if every single day Lazarus shows up on his doorstep, if every day there is someone right there in our, in our family laid before us, Right there, 
laid before our heart or our eyes or our porch or our workplace or across the street or across the hall, they may as well be a thousand miles away. In fact, that impossible chasm the rich man knows between Father Abraham and Hades when, when he dies, that chasm's really just a continuation of what life was like when the rich man was alive. And, and, and yes, Lazarus was, was right there at his gate, but given that all these things were always keeping the rich man's attention, it was like there was a massive chasm between him and Lazarus. The rich man's eternity is just a continuation of the life that was already true on earth. Then, Father, I, I beg you, send Lazarus to my father's house. Notice in eternity, he's, he's still treating Lazarus as if he's just a servant to be sent Send Lazarus to my father's house, for, for I have five brothers, or equally translated, siblings. I have five siblings that, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Please, may it not be too late for my siblings. May it be not too late for they who, who may well have hearts consumed like my heart was consumed. For my siblings. And here, finally, we find ourselves in the story. We find, actually, this, this is a story about us. Because we're, we're not the rich man. We're not Lazarus, who have both since passed. We're, we're the siblings. We're the living. The ones the rich man urgently wants to grab our attention. And we siblings, we have been given... Jesus, who became poor on a cross that we might be rich in the mercy of God. We have Jesus, who, who, who was raised from the dead and whose, whose living, risen spirit animates our lives, our movements, our eyes. We have Jesus, whom we re receive uniquely afresh each Sabbath and who promises to set the captives free. And this Sabbath day, I wonder if Jesus is making us aware of just how much clutter has accumulated around us or in us. Perhaps this Sabbath, he is slowing us to show us how much our worries about money, our worries about stuff, our worries about taking care of stuff, our worries about property, the kind of worries that, that, that accumulate so quickly when every day we sit before the news cycle and the social media feed and the doom scrolling. Perhaps this Sabbath he is slowing us to show us all the stuff visible and invisible that accumulates upon the heart and that does weigh as it attaches itself. And on this Sabbath, the word goes out to the siblings of God. In returning and rest, you shall find your salvation. In quietness and trust shall be 
your strength. Come, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What are some of the accumulated bags God would have us drop that we might receive this gift? And as we are starting to discard bag after bag of visible or invisible stuff at that front door, and we find a new lightness, a new openness, look around. What do we begin to see? Who does God begin to give us eyes for as we look out our front gate? Church Street, 7th Street, 8th Street, Myrtle Street, Austin Avenue, University Avenue, Williams Drive, our own street, our own hallway, our border, our schools. Who do we see? Who's right there, overlooked, and, and maybe we don't know him by name, maybe we know him quite well by name. In the space of letting go of those bags, the space of returning unto rest, who does the Spirit help us see more clearly? You know, Tom Toole, he was the former pastor of Memorial Drive in Houston, Texas, uh, many years ago. He, he once did a keynote at uh, a church, all-church retreat at the church I was serving in Decatur, Georgia, uh, about a dozen years ago. And um, he said this, and I've never forgotten it. Uh, during one of the sessions, he said, look, congregations, uh, they do mission studies. They put together vision statements. This is all well and good. I commend it. I've done it with most of the congregations I've served over many years. But I continue to find that mostly congregations discover their mission when they finally let the Holy Spirit open their eyes to that which has been laid on their front porch, metaphorically or otherwise. The rich man was not called to do all things for all people all the time. He had one hunger, one situation, one name, Lazarus at the gate. And of course, elsewhere we know Jesus tells us that it is among the hungry and the thirsty, the imprisoned, the, the sick, the stranger, and the overlooked. It is among the least of these that, that we see Jesus himself, right? Whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. You see, it turns out ours is a God of second chances. The God of grace is, is in our story the whole time. Every day he shows up at the gate hungry with sores and he goes by the name Lazarus. It's no wonder in returning and rest we find our salvation. For in rest our vision is restored and we see salvation is come. He is knocking at the door or lies ailing at the gate. And he's looking to minister 
to us, to love us, to embrace all of the prodigal siblings who have gotten so caught up in all of the stuff. So on this Sabbath day, as, as you let go of some bags, once more I ask, who do you start to see? And is it not the face of Christ himself who is come? Amen.